Welcome to Movie House Sports Psychology, the podcast where we look at your favorite movies and TV shows through the lens of mental health and sports psychology. I'm Dr. Jason Von Steetz, a licensed psychologist specializing in clinical and sports psychology. If you're interested in how psychological principles apply to your favorite fictional characters, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. Okay, welcome to the Movie House Sports Psychology Podcast. Uh, today, I have a special guest, Dr. Lena. Other than I just realized I forgot to ask you your pronounce it, uh, how to pronounce your last name. Uh, uh, how, how would you say that? Chamil with a hard ch. Ch. Chamil. Chamil. Uh-huh. All right. Dr. Lena Chamil. She is yes. a sports psychology professional and she has a background in figure skating. And so let me just say uh, thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting to talk about this movie in this way. Oh, good, good. And we are going to talk about the movie The Cutting Edge, a big uh, figure skating movie. Uh, but as as far as my relationship with this movie, I do remember it. Uh, I watched it when I when I was a kid back in 1992. Uh, I didn't remember a whole lot about it other than the gist. It's a hockey player and a figure skater um, working together, and uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun to rewatch this. And one of the things that immediately stood out to me was it, it was like getting into a time machine and being. Uh, transport it back to 1992. This is a very, very 90s movie in a a very fun way. Uh, It was a 90s that I forgot about. Uh, I I am familiar and I am a a fan and and an admirer of the 90s, but I was was more familiar with Wayne's World 1992. In Wayne's World, the whole grunge rock comedy scene, much different than the 1992 of, of the cutting edge, but it was still, uh, it was a lot of fun for me to, to watch. Uh, but what, what is your uh, relationship to the cutting edge? Oh, well, I was highly competitive at this time. Um, I was 12 years old when this came out and it was like the ultimate movie to go see with all of my friends, all my skating friends. Um, and one of our, um, one of our friends or a skater who was um, skating in our kind of, I guess, region, she was the skating double for Sharon, for um, Moira Kelly. And her name is Sharon Cars Mm. and she's fantastic. And she was a world level, national level um, skater and competitor. And she was coaching at the time. And um, it was just so cool to go and see. And then the music that they had skated to for their short program towards the end of the movie, the car race one, uh, that program that they skated, I was actually skating to that exact piece of music at the time for my own competitions. And so it was super cool to hear that. And everybody, you know, we go, we went with all my skating friends and they all looked at me and like, oh my God, it's your program. (laughs) So it was just really fun to, to see that. And there was no other movie or skating movie that was out and i think it's got to be maybe the most popular figure skating movie and i always get asked oh i'm sure you love that you know the cutting edge right what was that movie about that hockey player so it it's been really awesome to kind of always go back and see 
like a favorite movie of mine. So. Right, right. That's and um, I'm not sure that I thought about how um, figure skaters probably all know about this movie and are fans of it, or, or at the very least are very familiar with it. I wrestled in high school, so the big wrestling movie is Vision Quest from from the eighties. No so yeah, everybody knows that movie. Uh, at and then at wrestling tournaments, everybody plays Eye of the Tiger. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so there there are that that um, themes in pop culture that different sports will, um, uh, you know, uh, have uh, play out in, in different ways. Uh, and I, just now, I was just thinking: um, was figure skating more popular in the '90s? Because right now, at, at least for me, I'm not that familiar. I don't know if if people commonly know the top figure skaters. And at that time, I think, or around that time, everybody knew Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding. There was a guy named Elvis that uh, seemed to be pretty popular. Uh, and then now I'm thinking, uh, I remember Johnny Weir, I think. Um, I remember a couple others, I think Yamaguchi, but, but maybe it's just me. I, maybe I'm more familiar with the 90s, but what do, what do you think about that? I think so. I think, I think in the 90s, um, before, like, few years before Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan um, kind of events played yeah. out, I think it was pretty popular. I mean, um, like 88 Olympics, um, that's when Katarina Witt really came onto the scene kind of more globally. And she had a lot of press and a lot of media. So I think from that going forward, it was just kind of, um, you know, more in pop culture and people knew about it a lot more and followed figure skating and with Chris Yamaguchi um, winning gold and you know a few years before that she was gold medalist in Paris figure skating as well and she was in like 90 when this came out or maybe a couple years before that she was competing in, in her individual event and Paris event and was placing in the top three in both like and so I think that was amazing to see and amazing to kind of um, look up to and, and see how how these skaters can really do so much. And um, it caught a lot of kind of media attention. And then, you know, with with Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding as that kind of blew up, um, you know, it's just kind of, it held on in kind of more of a negative connotation though, yeah. but people were still... I think interested and fascinated by the sport at that time of all of these different tenants that play into it and play out in the sport and what it's not just like this pristine, you know, event in, in the Olympic games anymore. No. It was more, you know, had more depth to it, mm. you know? So, um, and then with, you know, Johnny Weir coming, coming through and um, Evan Lysacek winning the gold, um, around that time as well, um, having these American men, you know, play so well in, in all of these events. So I think, and then as I think the last, what, like maybe 10 years or so, um, some of our, our lady, um, our championship ladies have kind of been in the public eye. And I think the last few years, like with Gracie Gold, really mm, kind of yeah. um, coming out and advocating for mental health. Yeah. has also been in the public eye as well. So it it the popularity 
I feel is kind of waxed and waned yeah. over the last since the nineties. But um, yeah, it's, it definitely had its boom in the nineties though, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, I forgot about Gracie Golds. Uh, she worked with our old pal, Ken Revisa uh, on the mental skills. So, so, but we could, we can get more into mental skills stuff in, in just a moment. But right. let me, let me go back to the movie, uh, The Cutting Edge made in 1992. And I'll read the very brief IMDb um, summary of it. It's, it's just uh, one sentence. A temperamental figure skater and an arrogant former hockey player attempt to win the Olympic gold medal as a figure skating pairs team. So we sort of have uh, an unlikely um, animal couple or, uh, you know, the, an odd couple getting together, which always makes for, uh, you know, a fun time. And uh, just to set the, the stage a little bit, we have um, a hockey player who is a young hotshot. He's, um, we, we get the sense watching the movie that maybe he's the best player on the team for the, for the you know, U- U.S. national hockey team. And um, or at the very least, he's, he's a star. And we see some highlights of him at the very beginning. And then very quickly, we see that he gets a very bad injury. He's concussed. His helmet comes flying off in the middle of a game. And then cut to however much time later, uh, he's at the doctor's office. It, we get the sense it's probably a neurologist, but I'm not sure if, if they actually say in the movie. And then the neurologist lets him know, um, you know, you've lost um, X amount of vision and um, you, you know, you'll be able to live your life. Uh, you'll be fine in almost every way. But because of this loss of, of you know your visual field you will not be able to compete in hockey or at least not at a high level um and he does not take this well his uh he sort of maybe maybe spins out of control a little bit i'm not sure if they actually show it but he's upset and his life is drastically changed after that and then a little bit later he or at least in the movie we're introduced to the figure skater who is having a lot of trouble working together with her her partner. And we get the sense that she's gone through uh, many different figure skating partners and um, uh, she might be difficult to work with. Uh, so, so that's sort of the introduction to the movie. And uh, one of the, the main things that pops out that, that we've talked about is um, the hockey player, um, he... Um, he loses his career in hockey and he's really trying to hang on. We see him uh, playing or, or at least we hear about him playing in maybe bar leagues or recreational leagues. And he's trying to find his way back to, uh, you know, the, the professional level or just the, the most elite level. And he's just really struggling and, and getting rejected by teams and he's missing work. And he's having a lot of conflict with his family, his brother. Um, and that's that's our introduction to the movie. And this is, you know, in some ways, in a lot of ways, this is what a lot of athletes go through. They get injuries and, and their time is cut short. Uh, and, and they struggle with their identity and, and where to go from there. But uh, like, what, what stands out to you about, about that part of the movie where our 
our one of our protagonists, the the hockey player, is um, really faced with that that injury and and the loss of his hockey career. Yeah, I think we were talking about this how like the, these one line synopsis of the movie. It's yes, that's the gist to it, but like yes, that's but the journey of that um, of me, you know, getting together and make it to Olympics is just so filled with this kind of agonizing um, kind of confrontation to um, retirement and what it does to our mental health and what it does to our athletic identity. And like he was forced into retirement. And I think there's such a drastic kind of um, difference between his experience of leaving the sport and her experience of leaving the sport. Later on in the movie, it shows how she is just, she decides that at some mm. point after the skate or after like they skate that night, she's just gonna leave and not compete anymore. And that's gonna be her last competition. Um, so she was able to have like this control over when she stopped and she left the sport, but he obviously, was spinning out of control, felt loss of control, was, you know, just trying to grasp at anything to keep him in the sport. It was, you know, like you said, the bar leagues, he was um, sending letters out to every pro team and just kind of anxiously waiting for that next, you know, for the next envelope to come in the mail of some good news. But it just, like you said, it, it was, it was so um kind of deflating for him as we saw in the movie in, in those first scenes how he just it just came out as anger you know and i thought that was so interesting with that one scene where the brother was like oh you want to fight me you want to fight the world you want to fight you know mm -hmm. who are you gonna fight next get in line get you know mm -hmm. and i thought that was very poignant for kind of the brother to kind of like hit on that because of just this loss and this anger that he was feeling and he just wanted to fight against it so hard that he couldn't, he couldn't, he was going to be fighting for a long time. Right. Right. Oftentimes, uh, you know, uh, ending a career, uh, losing something really important to you can be very similar to grieving the loss of a loved one and someone can go through, um, the stages of grief, or at least some of the stages of grief, and we see the our hockey player is angry. Uh, he's in denial because the the doctor told him you lost a, a good chunk of your visual field. It's and it's not coming back, so you're not going to be able to keep performing. Uh, and yeah, I think um, it is. Or it could be worthwhile to give it a shot since. You know, he was still fully capable in every other way. Um, but to go from the U.S. national team to bar leagues is a pretty drastic drop in, in level of performance. So the writing was pretty much on the wall, but he was still um, uh, maybe in, in denial about it. And he was still angry and he wasn't spending a lot of time uh, really maybe reflecting and, and, and thinking about his, his options other than, than continuing to try to make it. Uh, there's coaching, there's, there's other ways that he could have stayed involved in the sport that he loved. Um, 
But uh, to his credit, he, he was giving it a, a the old college try, giving it a valiant effort. And then when an opportunity came, um, one of the, the early scenes of the movie is um, the figure skater's coach uh, finds the hockey player, introduces himself, and um, sort of lays out this proposal to him. You know, we have a, a figure skater, you're a great skater. Um, that's what made you such a, a an effective hockey player. Will you give figure skating a chance? And to his credit, he's open to it and he takes that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, and for that, for that scene, I think it was really just kind of far, so far fetched. I think that was just the, the you know, mm-hmm. the the crux of that movie. Um, and it's and it's such a like a fantasy and fantastical way to think about um, hockey and figure skating marrying and coming together because it's like known, you know, with like the peewees or like the young figure skaters, they, everybody thinks they hate each other because they're taking over the ice, but you know, and you're so aggressive and we're like, you know, and it's just such a um, kind of like this society thinks it's so, you know, far-fetched to do that and like come across across the aisle in a way you know um and like in reality that would not that would not fly that would not work and um but it is so it's it speaks to also the reality of his desperation of wanting to somehow stay in the sport or actually stay competitive or stay you know be connected to his athletic identity of this um, high level competitor. Um, mm-hmm. and even if it was in a different discipline, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, same, you know, on ice, you know, um, mentality, but at the same time, like, you know, different skills and different, you know, equipment and, um, different mindset and different approach. And, um, for him just to like jump on it, mm-hmm. it speaks to, yeah, that kind of desperation of, wanting to kind of stay connected and and um and refusing really or yeah to to let any to let it go or to let his kind of um you know that hope to let that hope go that he would still play again because it's like you know when when athletes get injured it's always like oh i have to be that much stronger to get through this because i'm gonna get back like that the mentality of like having a career ending injury is not necessarily the first thing everybody thinks about when they get injured. Like, okay, I get injured. All right. This hurts. I'm going to go, you know, the doctor, we're going to get this done. When is physical therapy? How much, you know, how long do I have to recover? What's, you know, what is the, um, you know, PT time? How long am I going to be in? How long do I have to, you know, what's prognosis, you know? Um, and it's just so, so shocking when you are confronted with the kind of news, like, no, you can't go back, right. you know? Um, so I think that, yeah, that really spoke, spoke to his desperation of, I mean, I'll do anything. I'll do yeah. anything, even if it means that I might get some slack from my family of being a figure right. skater or because for actually at that time and maybe even you know before you know male figure skaters were not necessarily viewed you know as um as accepted as you know by um you know by society as as 
as a kind of masculine or, or kind of, you know, accepted kind of sport to be a part of, you know? Right. So, yeah, I thought that was really an interesting kind of point to kind of reflect on and, and look, analyze about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you made a lot of uh, great points. Uh, uh, one thing that stood out to me, so I, I'm um, not too familiar with winter sports. Uh, and as I was looking into this movie, I did find a, a story by uh, uh, D.B. Sweeney, the actor who plays the hockey player. And then I keep calling him the hockey player. Is is his character's name, I, for some reason, I'm thinking Doug. Is that, am yeah. I off? Oh, yes. Doug? Okay. No, okay. no, I think that's right. Okay. And then, I, and then the figure skater uh, is... I keep thinking Moira. Is that the actor's name or is that the... Yes, Moira Kelly is the yeah. actor who played her and her name is yeah. Kate. So the character's Kate. name is Kate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, I I saw a little bit of an interview um, with uh, D.B. Sweeney who plays uh, Doug and he was talking about that division between hockey players and figure skaters and he said that uh, when figure skaters... Um, you know, practice, they, they leave little, you know, divots in the ice from jumping and landing and, and stuff like that. And then that upsets the the hockey players and then the hockey player and then the, the figure skaters, you know, they want the rink to themselves. They don't want all kinds of hockey players just around getting in the, in the mix. So there, there's that tension between the two. And then um, that just as a tidbit, uh, he was saying that that did act out in the behind the scenes process where um, he would wear hockey skates and then Moira would get upset and say, you need to wear figure skates. And then he wouldn't do it. And there would be tension between them. And then she would get mad and put like French fries in his shoes. And then it just sort of, set, <laughs> it, it just sort of set the stage for uh, the good. tension that you see on screen. Uh, but the, the main point I'm getting at is that there is that tension between hockey players and figure skaters that I, I really wasn't that aware of, but makes sense because they're, they're both competing for the same resources for, for the rink. And um, so there, there is going to be that, that tension there. Um, and the other thing you were, you were pointing out um, the identity aspect uh, uh, Doug really strongly identified as as a hockey player and an athlete and he he lost that or at the very least he lost a, a great deal of it and he was really trying to hold on and he didn't necessarily know who he was without that and he was trying to he wasn't prepared to to reshape his identity and in, in a different way um and um working with um with athletes myself, um, when an athlete becomes injured, if their um, identity is really, really strongly tied into their sport, when they get injured and they're not able to um, be a part of practice, they're not able to work out, oftentimes working out is like the main coping skill that athletes will use, um, they can feel like they're letting their team down and they can really feel like like they've lost a big chunk of their identity. So when an, when an athlete's identity is really tied up in their sport, losing it even for a while with because of an injury, even for a couple of weeks, 
can be really, really difficult for them. So for him to have a, a, a permanent injury where he loses his, his ability to play his sport at a high level was something that he wasn't even prepared to grapple with yet. So being able to kind of transition to identifying as a figure skater and just really giving that his all, uh, you know, it, it takes some times, there's some hijinks, there's some, some fun uh, that goes on, but he does really start to, to thrive as a figure skater towards the end of the movie. And he does start to, you could see his mood improve throughout the movie. And it, it, it was, it ended up being really good for his mental health. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can see that arc, even with mm-hmm. how he was presenting himself or even he almost like quote unquote cleaned up towards the mm-hmm. end, you know, mm-hmm. he was even um, presenting more polished or more with more posture or just, um, the way he was relating to her was even more um, supportive and um, um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like cooperative even because they were just, you know, butting heads at the very beginning of, you know, with that famous scene of like topic, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm, and I laugh when you talk, when you were mentioning the, um, how Moira Kelly was getting of that story that you were saying of Moira Kelly getting upset that he wasn't wearing the mm-hmm. figure skates because I don't believe she was a, or knew how to skate before. Sometimes yeah. these actors, they, um, they get this role and they need to be taught how to yeah. skate and then they'll have their um, standing or doubles come in and do mm-hmm. the, the necessary like jumps or spins yeah. or actual skating. Um, but they need, you know, that, entrance shot or you know that kind of fadeaway shot where they're actually skating and doing some some you know smooth work but you know because the 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 technicality of the skates itself like you he it was kind of easier for him to wear those hockey skates when he Mm -hmm. wanted to you know and like Mm -hmm. so probably so anyway so throughout the movie you do see this arc and what I found was interesting with his arc of like really accepting this new role in, in this new sport or this new discipline, he was really getting probably into his kind of self again Mm, of, you know, kind of um, attaching or reattaching to his athletic identity Mm. in a new way that really evolved for him. Um, And at the same time, she was almost letting go of her athletic identity and um because of the kind of story that she the the narrative that they were offering with her was that it was a lot of pressure for her to keep going and who knew when she decided in her career when she wanted when she didn't want it that bad and it was more of this like extrinsic um motivation or motivating factor of you know, making her dad happy and, and right. getting that medal. And, um, and you know, you could see towards the end, even though she was having a great time with it yeah. and like finding fun in the sport again, she realized like it wasn't about the competition and she just didn't like it or just, it wasn't, it was for different things. And so she was kind of, you know, but, so 
yeah, her relationship to the sport was also changing. And I think that was a really important part of the arc of her character. Right, right. I do have uh, uh, experience working with a handful of world-class athletes. And I think before that, I think um, what I envisioned and what a lot of people envisioned as far as world-class athletes would be an adult who is super high functioning and really motivated and um, just needs some fine tuning around the edges. And in my experience, what it often ends up being is a teenager who is really burnt out and wants to quit, but feels like they can't because they don't want to let their parents down. So they're trying to hang on. They're trying to just gut it out and achieve this goal that kind of their parents kind of set for them when they were young. And they're just trying to cross that finish line. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's what I see with, uh, with Kate, um, mm -hmm. Moira's character, the uh, figure skater. She's, she's presenting as very angry and, and uh, frustrated and, um, and hostile towards her partners. But then when she actually opens up, um, uh, she said something like, maybe we can go back or I wish we can go back in time and, and you could just tell me that figure skating could be fun or we can just, we can just do it and have fun and it doesn't need to be about winning. Like she said that to her, to her dad after a big fight in front of, you know, everybody at the dinner table. Um, so I really see that experience reflected in, in her. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because and, and plus with her in her backstory, her mother passes when she was young. And so this is, you know, who knows if it was the mother's dream for her and right. the dad was trying to keep it alive for her. Um, but the very beginning of the movie, when um, when Doug has been uh, like recruited, you see that empty metal box, you know, or the you know, for the Olympic medal, it says Olympic, if you look hard enough, that's yeah. the gold medal or something. So right there is just like this foreshadowing of yeah. the pressure and the, you know, to get it right and to get mm -hmm. this, you know, partnership right so that she can bring it home for, for, for him in a way, you know, mm -hmm. he's the one that's displaying this, this case, you know, that's empty, you know, and it's yeah. so dramatic. And if you think about it and um, so poignant of, you know, how much pressure has been on her to do this and to kind of strive for this one goal that may not be hers because she's not even in the room when that's even talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it reminds me that oftentimes what you see isn't really the problem. It's more of a symptom, more a symptom of the problem. And what you see in the movie is Kate, uh, you know, acting out a lot. And behind the scenes or actually like right in front of us, the dad is continually finding new partners, continually like maybe switching up the coaches. The dad set up an empty display case where her gold medal should be instead of celebrating all of the accomplishments that she's already made as an Olympic competitor, as a probably national champion, or at least, you know, someone who's very accomplished and certainly not, uh, and, and, and the dad's certainly not 
celebrating the process and helping her to enjoy the moments and, and things like that. So you see her as the problem, but really, I mean, the dad is kind of setting her up for failure by focusing so much on the outcome instead of just letting her have fun and enjoy her sport. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, right. And, you know, or yeah, without really focusing on her experience in mm -hmm. the sport. You know, and another thing comes to mind of that coach-athlete relationship, you know, with the current coach, it seems to be like more of a supportive, encouraging relationship, which is, yeah. seems like it's great for her. Um, but at the same time, you see kind of in the beginning of the movie where they're talking about how, quote unquote, difficult she is to work with. Right. But that coach, like that kind of, there's one scene where the former coach starts yelling at her on the ice in front of everyone yeah, at some yeah. big competition practice ice where um you know there there's vulgarity in there like there's yelling across the ice or shouting and everybody's looking and turning heads and you see like the dramatic gasps of some mm -hmm. of the people and that have come to watch the practice ice and everybody's like and they're just shouting at each other and what I loved about that scene is they gave her kind of this very assertive um, um, kind of, you know, demeanor, for lack of a better word, demeanor mm -hmm. to kind of come back at the coach mm -hmm. and talk yeah. back to him to stand up for herself, really. Sure. I mean, she has this gumption that I think the audience was able to fall in love with her yeah. and to really root for her because to see that interaction just, you know, obviously it's appalling because everybody, you know, yeah. they see that in the play out in the scene. But, um, and I think that kind of spoke to her being difficult, but if you step back and look at it, you know, she's yeah. not being difficult at all. She's just responding to right. this uh, environment in which she was placed and, um, and really not, really being able to encourage her and support her in, in those different uh, relationships. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the coaching, the coaches and, and just the environment in general were uh, somewhat oppressive uh, where the coach kind of barks at you and the athlete needs to just take it and do what the coach says. And, and this is 1992. Um, so now I'm, I'm thinking, um, more recently, at least the coaches that I've met uh, and, and worked with, uh, the the this generation of coaches have been much more open to mental health, much more um, willing to sit and listen to athletes, and athletes will will go to them with their personal problems or family problems, and um, and get support that they need. Um, and things weren't always that way. And it's not that way now with every coach, but there are much, many more coaches that um, are more just emotionally intelligent and can, can be there for their athletes. Um, what's your experience been uh, in figure skating with coaches? And, and then maybe back in 1992, like, like do, you, do you feel like what you see in this movie is, is typical of coaches then? Is it still typical today? Like, what's that like? I don't think it's that typical today. I think um, because of the social climate and really people um, knowing a little bit more and being more educated on what works in relationships or these these dynamics and what and how they can get more out of their athlete. Um, but yes, back then, 
yeah, there is a, you know, coaches on the spectrum of being, you know, too nice or too docile to really being too hard and aggressive. Um, but it's very, it was very interesting because when I was competing, it was, I, and I'm sure it is today as well, um, of this, you know, kind of instant satisfaction where if you weren't getting, you know, the placement that you wanted or weren't getting your jumps as quick as, as you you liked, you would go to like another coach. You would go to a specialty coach to work on, you know, your double axle or your triple sow cow or then, or if you weren't happy altogether, you would switch coaches and, and that would happen many times. And it, it's interesting to look back to really reflect on why you would, why you would, or what you would look for in the next coach. Do I need a coach that's harder on me to push me harder? And that would, that would kind of equate as the one that's yelling at you on the ice and skating after you with like a hockey stick to like slam on the ice and kind of scare you or, you know, tap your, tap your thighs if you weren't going fast enough, you know, like that was pretty harsh back in the day. And it would be, you know, Unfortunately, we didn't all have our own buildings like yeah. like Kate did in the movie um, to to kind of get all the ice time you did or um, or even have this kind of private privacy about it. You know, when you got injured, everybody knew when you weren't doing well, everyone knew. So I think with with a sport like skating and like and with injury, um, like when we were talking about Doug's character and kind of having this setback and not being able to compete at this high level with figure skating and I'm sure with gymnastics and, and, you know, I'm sure in any other sport can, can relate when you do get injured, you are kind of set back so many weeks, months that you're off and you're thinking about how much more, um, advanced everybody else right. is getting at that time. And so it even like hurts that ego even more. Yeah. So when you do come back, you are like almost a shell of, of yourself as an athlete, because you are kind of starting from scratch. You have to start slow. You have, you can't push yourself yet, you know, unless you're going to get injured again, you know? And so you have to start slow and it's, it takes a long time before you're back to where you were when you got injured. And then you have to think about all of your competitors who have used those two, three months to really advance so much more than, than you just, you lost a lot of that time. And with, with supportive coaches while you're injured, I think that that also comes to mind of kind of that coach athlete relationship that's so supportive is to, you know, maintain that kind of interest, encouragement, support when they're off. So that they know that they are, you know, welcomed when they come back in a way or, you know, have the coach's best interests in mind, not just when they're on the ice, like that you are a full person when you're off, you know. So, yeah, the, that coach athlete relationship in, in skating, I have seen evolved, which is great. Oh, good, good. And you reminded me of something. Um, some sports... Um, like it's, it sounds like figure skating um, is very time intensive and, you know, a month, a couple months is a very important amount of time. 
as far as you know putting in the, t- the training and, and making progress mm-hmm. and you know some sports uh, i don't want to compare sports too much but you can change your strategy you can change you know your starting lineup and from one week to another week you can make somewhat significant changes and then there are other sports like maybe track and field where progress is usually measured more in in months not really weeks like it takes a while to make some kind of significant progress in in other sports so like figure skating like if you lose three months if you lose uh you know a big chunk of time that's it's almost like exponential it's it's a huge amount of time and uh, maybe hockey might be one of those sports where you could change things up like change your lineup change your strategy and figure skating's not that way and one of the things that stood out to me in the movie it's sort of semi-related to that uh in one of the competitions um it comes out that doug gets some pre-game jitters and he's you know nervous before he starts and it takes him a while to to feel loose and relaxed and to start start performing his best and uh he says you know i usually feel pretty good after about 10 minutes and then kate says well our whole routine is two minutes okay so eight minutes after we're done i should feel pretty good and, and that that is a problem uh yeah. you know for if you're in track your whole event might just might just take a couple seconds um maybe a minute you know it's not a long time if i competed in weightlifting for a few years and you train all month or a few months and then your 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 attempt is really just a few seconds so you do all that time training and then you spend all day at an at a meet and then really your entire time competing ends up being a, a couple minutes um more of that time is really important because there's your warm up there's your mental preparation all that stuff but your time um on the platform actually competing just a, a matter of a a minute or a couple minutes and really just a few seconds at a time um so what was it like for you or maybe some of the athletes that you've worked with to put in all that preparation and then need to perform in just a minute or a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult, I think, to kind of focus on just those few minutes because there's so much pressure because you're right. It's like this, you know, you're so much time, so much preparation, so much practice, training, different dance classes, you know, um, amount of time on the ice, amount of time off the ice, you know, stretching, all of this all of these different components are going into this two and a half minute program for your short and then for your short program. And then you have another program that's a long program that's like four minutes. And so every minute, every second of that program counts in a way of like accumulating points. And so if you miss those points, there's just no coming back. So it's really difficult. to kind of wrap your head around it. And I think one of the ways that we do is these pre-performance routines really, and to be able to trust the training and to be able to allow for the train to come through and to kind of believe in how you've trained and how intentional it's been 
and um, every practice counting and knowing exactly what you want to achieve in every practice so that it can just kind of flow on competition day. Um, and like the pre-performance routine starts like the day before, a couple days before, just in, in the amount of like what you're eating. Um, I remember I had to eat specific things because my nerves, it would mess with my stomach. And so I was told not to eat dairy and I had to eat certain things and then or to perform with so much energy and to keep lean and, you know, all of those kind of um, strategies. And just like how much sleep you would get in the morning of and, you know, depending on what time of day your event would be would you have practice ice that morning? So, and then you would have your own pre-performance routine for practice ice because that was official, quote unquote official. And it would almost be like a competition on the practice ice. So it was, yeah. yeah so there's just so much that goes into it with, it's just kind of like these building blocks so that that day, the stress and the pressure that you're feel, feeling is hopefully going to be optimal at that time, you know, and just to allow it to go so that you are concentrated on your technique and, and your, you know, believe in your training. But um, yeah, some, some of the athletes I've, you know, worked with, that's so important to be able to clarify and understand what your pre-performance routine is for. You know, what is, what is this for? What are you actually doing? Is this helpful? Are you aware that you're doing it? Some athletes aren't even aware that they have a pre performance routine and it's very helpful just to become aware oh I do have that that's great you know I'm going to use it I'm going to be more intentional about it be more present and so to be able to go to that and to kind of fall back on it when your mind does start to wander if there's doubts coming in or if there's distractions or anything like that you could come back to that routine and that was really helpful even for me in 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 some aspects, I would listen to music or I would, you know, just kind of walk up and down the side of the rink. And it's very isolating because it's, you know, the individual aspect of the sport. But I remember there was a few, um, there's one season where <clears throat> I had a lot of my friends that I trained with day in, day out, and we were competing with each other. And I, so that's where I found out I knew I was the one that needed that support, that camaraderie, that kind of um, kind of boisterous, like, you can do this. You know, I needed to hear it. I needed to, you know, kind of verbalize it um, and have have that kind of support um, rather than just be like super focused in what I had to do. It was more of like, oh, I know I can do this. The belief in the training was there. Everything was there. And it was like we would high five each other coming on and off of our competition, like performances. And I remember doing really well that year and making it, you know, through sectionals and nationals um, and really performing. So it's it's also becoming aware of what kind of competitor you are, too, and what you need at certain times. So. Um, I think awareness is just is also so important with with um, you know preparing having that um, that competitive edge really. Yeah, yeah, great points. So our, our old pal Ken Revisa used to say it begins before it begins. Um, 
and um, a, a lot of times athletes, like like you pointed out, they'll have some kind of pre-performance routine and not even be aware of it. Uh, uh, I've worked with athletes and we've, we've uh, talked about how before competitions, they might often get into an argument with their roommate or boyfriend, or they might, um, you know, just uh, get stuck ruminating and, and feeling anxiety and worrying. And, that is their pre-performance routine. Whether it's effective or not is, is a different story, but that's what they tend to do before they compete. And then we would work together to figure out some kind of more helpful routine. And for some people, they like to get lots of support, be around their friends, be around their teammates. For other people, they like to listen to music by themselves and then just uh, have some, some quiet time alone. And it's really just a matter of whatever helps that individual to perform their best. So awareness is, is really important. And based off of the movie, The Cutting Edge, I, it seems like their pre-performance routines was usually getting into some kind of um, hijinks, um, waking up late and then running to, to the rink or um, getting into a big, huge argument or maybe just confessing their love uh, at the very last moment. That seems to be their pre-performance routine. I, I wouldn't usually recommend that. Right. But <laughs> it seems to work for them most of the time. Yeah. There are times yeah. when they don't perform great, but it seems to, to usually work for them. Uh, so I'm, I don't know. I don't know if, if other athletes want to emulate that, but that's just, just something I, I noticed in the movie. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was always very, the emotionality of it was just so intense each time. You know, I think the, um, the whether they were, it was coming out as anger or as, you know, professing their love or, you know, kind of becoming so incredibly nervous. It was somaticized, right? It's like, or like that anxiety of him, you know, throwing up before each one and just being so nervous about it. Um, yeah, that it added to the you know the drama of of competing and and their relationship really. Um, that was it was fun to see. It was fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one of the things I like to do is just um, take a look at our characters and then think about how um, how we would want to help them in our role as mental health professionals or sports psychology professionals. Before we get into that, is there any uh, topic that um, you uh, think is important and want to mention that I didn't I didn't bring up? Hmm. I think we covered on a lot of them, which I was also thinking of. Um, can't think of any right now. Um, um, I think the aspect of just being highly competitive at that level and understanding kind of what's at stake with either coming back into sport or not. And I think that kind of, um, cause I was thinking about that one scene where the coach comes back, like the former coach comes back and kind of like shames her for mm. something and like, says, Oh, you're coming back now, you know, kind of, um, and how, and, and what you bring to the sport and how, what she thought she did or what he said, 
what was so like, oh, you bring so much to the sport, but then also it was it was kind of like a backhanded yeah. like compliment in a way. It was weird. Um, but the I think that also adds another layer of that kind of elite level of not wanting to leave the sport because of how much you feel like you've given the sport or what you or what the sport gives to you and like your community and the sacrifices that have been made in um, Kate and Moira's character and Kate, she talks, they have like this small interaction of <clears throat> going to college um, between her and Doug and, and um, saying, oh, well, no, I, I didn't go. I had very, very good tutors. You know, like, did she miss out on college experience because of this, you know, goal that the dad, the father had made for her and she was just going along with it, you know, and, but also she had to kind of keep up this, this um, kind of attitude that, yes, this, well, this is the way it's supposed to be and this is the way it is and this is the way I wanted it to be, you know, with her building and how she talked about get out of my building, you know, and like, um, this privilege that she had, but also kind of this pressure or this um, narrative that she had to keep up, you know. Um, so I thought that was interesting of how these sacrifices also kind of come, you know, compile and like pile onto the athletic identity and how strong it, it was and how she kind of needed to keep up with it because of that. Yeah, yeah, great points. Yeah, when I think about that, kind of leads me to uh, the work that we would do with MS professionals. Um, so, as a mental health or sports psychology professional, when I see uh, Kate, um, like like you've been pointing out, uh, like we've we've talked about, um, there was just all this pressure to to perform and to and to win. And, and not a lot of emphasis on just her enjoyment of her experience as, as an athlete. So I would really want to try to help her to get back to her reason why. Like, why is she competing? And I think at first she would probably go back to maybe her mother, maybe her dad, maybe just winning for the sake of winning. and. Um, that can be very motivating, but I would, I would hope to be able to work with her to the point or, or, you know, discuss things to the point where she can figure out what it is more intrinsically that is driving her and what are her core personal values and, and, um, and try to attach that to her daily practices and, and um, her relationship with her, her family and her partner, uh, you know, Doug, her, her uh, figure skating partner. And, um, and then when athletes are basing their actions off of their core personal values and, and their reason why, they're going to be a lot more motivated and they're going to be, they're most likely going to be more in the moment and enjoying their experience and ultimately performing better too when you're enjoying what you're doing and you're focused on the process, when you're focused on performing, you tend to perform a lot better than if you're just thinking, I need to win. I need to pull off this amazing, um, impossible move in order to, to win, to win gold. Um, so I, I would really want to 
to work on that with her and uh, with Doug. Um, man, getting this opportunity to transition to a different sport is is really amazing and in real life probably wouldn't happen so if i were working with him earlier on in in the movie um i i'm not sure that i would want to tell him like hey this is over but i would i would want him to like really grapple with the reality of the situation and start to maybe grieve that loss a little bit more rather than only expressing anger and um, and denying the reality of the situation that he lost that visual field and it's impacting his performance. And I would hope to, to help him to try to um, find a, a new identity that can still uh, involve that athletic part, but um, maybe instead of just getting really lucky and a coach showing up at his front door, Maybe he could start looking for other ways to express his talent. Uh, one of the things, and again, I don't really know winter sports, but I thought, I wonder, could he do like the bobsled team or the luge or something? Because they said he was strong and fast and a good skater. So mm-hmm. aren't there other sports that he could kind of put his energy into? Mm-hmm. And then realistically, it's going to take a number of years for him to to start being you know, competitive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, rather than a couple montages uh, yeah. in the movie. But but if he had more agency in that moment and were able to, you know, um, really make choices for himself and find his own path, that probably would have been pretty healthy for him. Uh, you Because know, most people aren't going to just get lucky and find a coach uh, at their front door. Uh, but, but what are your thoughts as far as helping our characters, whether it's those two or anybody else in the movie. Yeah, I totally agree with what you've brought up and and what you've offered. I really like, like, we can start with Doug because of what you were just talking about. Of yeah, it's it's not likely that you're going to be able to become as successful in a different discipline um, and have this kind of you know, it presented on your doorstep as such. And, but also there's those athletes, which they do find another sport and they become very, very good and very accomplished. Um, And that it would be interesting to kind of, if that was the case to, you know, be able to support and to support that transition. But also I'm sure there's, there would be that level of frustration like was shown in the movie of, you know, not being able to get it right and having somebody else, you know, breathing down your back, but just understanding like, yes, you have those tenants of, of, you know, a, an accomplished athlete and you know exactly how long it takes. It doesn't take, you know, two years to become accomplished, you know, in a sport, it took how long, you know, and to kind of point that out and have them become aware of that. Um, and to really understand, okay, what is this transition going to do for them? You know, is this just, uh, you know, something that is kind of elongating this kind of transition out of sport eventually? Okay. You know, but then what happens next? You know, after this sport, is there going to be a different sport? Okay, quite possibly. In the meantime, 
what can you do to fulfill who they are outside of sport, you know, or even in sport, but just in a different way other than the athlete, you know, could it be something else of like what you said, um, kind of, um, you know, um, broadening the horizons of, you know, their interests and understanding and helping clarify what their relationship to sport is, what does it do for them? And that kind of brings me back to Kate's character of what, yeah, what is her relationship to her sport? You know, is it is it from her? Is it coming from inside her of the joy of, or the love of the sport even? Um, I think, you know, what she would say is that, well, it's, that's who I am. I think, you know, like, oh, why, why are you skating? Why are you still skating? Well, that's just who I am. Because it's like, if anybody asks you, you know, I remember growing up, it was, oh yeah, you're the skater. You're the skater, right? Right, right. You know, and then that's kind of all you know, all you expect people to know of you. And then you start kind of internalizing that. And that's who you want other people to have you see or have them seeing you, you know? And it's like, you end up wanting people to, to know that you are the skater because that's who you are. That's who I am, you know? And so I think that, that level of, um, or that intensity between her and her sport and that relationship, that identity that she was so wrapped up in, you know, and kind of isolated, you didn't see too much of like her community of figure skaters. Like, you're not always just practicing on your own, you know, you're going to different events, you're practicing with other people. I mean, that was kind of a different setup for her in the movie and kind of maybe dramatized, but like it, it, it didn't show much of that. So, you know, community helps so much, but then also with transitioning out of sport, you lose that community too. So to really figure out where is your support system outside of the sport what does that look like and and what do you look like without that you know eventually and um kind of being you know being confronted with that because not too many people or athletes even think about it i mean working with college college student athletes it's it's not until they're approaching senior year do they realize that this could be their last season and what are they going to do? Like, unless they're going to grad school and kind of transitioning that intense scheduled, you know, kind of regimen for them. It's like, oh, okay, grown up, real life. What does this mean? Am I going to find anything that I'm as passionate about as I am with my sport now? I'm not going to have this. What am I going to have? And it, it's not something that people are primed for, or like the, some of the student athletes are primed for at all. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a great point. Um, most high school athletes won't go on to compete in college, and uh, yeah, I think in general people are your seniors are told enjoy the year. Um, you know, uh, make memories, things like that. But for the most part, they're not really prepared to uh, transition out of sports. And then most collegiate athletes don't go on from there. So 
it's it's an aspect of of sport that is really neglected in, in many ways. You know, people really identify with their sport, their entire community and and support system can revolve just completely around sport. And then um, really the only advice or or support people get in transitioning out is, you know, people say, you know, oh, this is the best time of your life or, you know, really enjoy it. But they don't, they don't really get any uh, kind of psychoeducation or uh, exit counseling uh, when, when they're leaving their sport or in sort of ending their athletic career. Right, right. Everybody looks to them and says, oh, you're going to have so much free time. Now you get to do what you really want. And they're looking at you. They have this look like deer in the headlights. Well, what do I want to do? What have I been wanting to do that I haven't been able to do? Spend time with friends? Okay, well, where are they? They're going off, they're, you know, going off different places as well. Or, you know, they're, it's just unknown for them. And it's just like kind of this shock of, you know, free time. It's very scary to have that free time when you didn't have it for so long and you don't know what to do with it. And it's scary to kind of think about that of, whoa, I have all this free time. Right. Now what? <laughs> right, right. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then that reminds me, and then I'll um, uh, make this point, and then it's time to start wrapping up. But um, that reminds me of uh, sort of post competition or post Olympic depression yes. that uh, Michael Phelps has talked about and, and other, other athletes have talked about where, you know, leading up to a big event, there's all kinds of excitement and attention and you have purpose and you have motivation and people around you supporting you. And then after the event, even if things go really well after the event, it's a whole lot of silence and just time alone and no more attention and energy and all those things. And people can go into a, a depression afterward. Um, and if you're ending your athletic career, then there's no next season to look forward to, or there's no other nationals or big event that you can kind of rally and, and start to, uh, to focus on. It's just, it's just the rest of your life, you know, so people could really use some help in that moment. Yes. Yes. It's like going to, into an abyss of like, because it's so uncertain for, for athletes that they don't have kind of this set path. Um, then certainty is really difficult to look at and to feel, um, especially when everything's been planned out every step of the way, every turn with every goal, with every class, every training session, every practice, every game, every season, to then be left to your own devices to create these goals for yourself or create a schedule for yourself. And it then turns more internal and more awareness needs to be addressed and, and confronted of, you know, who, who they feel that they can be as a former competitive athlete and what that means to them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, I guess that's what we're here for and other people like us and there's a growing awareness of mental health and sports psychology. So, so hopefully more athletes like Doug 
and Kate will will get the help that that they need going forward. But this this has been a, a great a great conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, do you have any contact information or uh, any social media that you would want to share for anybody who wants to get in touch with you? Sure, I have my email address at drlena.la at gmail, and I have an Instagram also, drlena. Um, dot la dr lena dot la that you can you know kind of comment on on my posts or send me a message through there um and yeah love to hear from anyone all right and then i'll share that also on the show notes and uh thanks for coming on and you're you're welcome back anytime thanks jason this was wonderful and so fun i really appreciate you having me okay good talk to you soon thank you this has been Movie House Sports Psychology. Find me on Instagram or Twitter using my handle at CBT Sports Psych. And tell me what you think. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.